1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello everyone and welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Li Pingchen, one of the hosts of the channel. Today we will be talking to Dr. Lin Peing and Dr. Li Wenqi about a book that they recently edited. This book is Taiwanese Literature as World Literature. This book Is published by Bloomsbury in 2022. Throughout the colonial era, Taiwanese writers gained inspiration from global literary trends mainly but not exclusively through the medium of Japanese and Chinese. Modernism has been the mainstream style in 1960s Taiwanese literature. And since the 1980s, Taiwanese literature has demonstrated a unique trajectory shaped by postmodernism and post-colonialism. These movements demonstrate Taiwanese writers' creative adaptations of world literary thoughts as a response to their local and transnational reality. During the post-war year, Taiwanese literature began to be more systematically introduced to world readers through translation. Over the past few decades, Taiwanese authors and their translated works have participated in global conversations, such as those on climate change, the post-truth era, and ethnic and gender equality. Bringing together scholars and translators from Europe, North America, and East Asia, this book focuses on three interrelated themes. First the framing and wording ploys of Taiwanese literature. Second, Taiwanese writers' experience of transculturation. And third, politics behind translating Taiwanese literature. This book stimulates new ways of conceptualizing Taiwanese literature, demonstrate remarkable cases of Taiwanese authors' co-option of world trends in their Taiwanese-concerned writing, and explore its readership and dissemination. Only through viewing Tony's literature as world literature can we redress the limits of national identity and fully examine writers' transcultural practice, global-minded vision, and the politics of its circulation. All right, this is a brief reintroduction about the book, and now let's hear from the editors now. Pei Ying and Wenqi, welcome to the show.
0: Hello. Hello, hello, hello.
1: <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you for agreeing to be on the show. And before we uh, delve into the books, uh, we would like to know a little bit more about you. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your affiliation, research interest, and anything you would like to share with our audience?
0: Okay, so I go first. So I'm Wenqi Li. I received my PhD in Sinology from the University of Zurich. My research fields include Taiwanese literature, post-colonialism, xenophone sin- sin- studies, gender studies, translation theories, and world literature. As an editor, I co-edited the Chinese book uh, Under the Same Roof, a poetry anthology for LGBTQ in Chinese called Tong Zai Xia in 2019. And my co-trans- co-translation of Yang works won me first prize in the 2018 John Dryden translation competition. In 2022, Payne and I also co-founded the World Literature from Taiwan series in Ballastier Press in the UK. And currently, I'm the postdoc fellow at the Institute for Advanced Studies in the Humanities, the University of Edinburgh. This June, I will go to the University of Oxford to continue my research because I acquired the Swiss National Science Foundation post Doctor Mobility Fellowship. The fellowship lasts for two years.
1: All right, thank you Wenqi for sharing. And again, congratulations on the translation (laughs) prize that you got. And um, so how about uh, Oh Yeah, sure. Uh, First of all, I would like to thank Li Ping for giving
2: us this opportunity to introduce the book. And also thank you for your very generous introduction. Uh, Currently, uh, I teach in the University of Hong Kong. I received my PhD from SOAS University of London that was ages ago so it's like a memory for me now. Uh, so uh, the Hong Kong U job is my third full-time job and previously I taught at the University of um, Cambridge and before that is at the um, National University of Singapore. Uh, I also held fellowship from Harvard and also from Leiden, where I taught for one semester in the autumn of 2020. Um, My research has largely concentrated on Taiwan, although teaching-wise, I cover a much wider range of Chinese language films and literary texts. So far, uh, I have edited a few books, but uh, today I think I'll just share with you, my two single author manuscripts. The first one is the English book uh, published in 2017 by Brio. It's entitled Colonial Taiwan Negotiating Identities and Modernity Through Literature. The book covers both Chinese and Japanese literary works produced in the 1920s to 1945 by a few quite canonical or established writers and also uh, a a couple of like popular romance writers. Um, My main goal in this book is to challenge the existing politicized and moralistic interpretations. And I try to Historicize those literary texts as far as possible and also to highlight the dual linguistic literary system and very complex identity process of authors uh, who lived during this period of time. Uh, my more recent book uh, is a Chinese uh, monograph entitled Taiwan Wen Zhong the uh, gender and ethnicity in Taiwanese literature, and it's kind of quite um. Like a uh, have a long historical span because it covers not only the colonial era but also contemporary era. Uh, it has about like uh, 12 chapters if I remember correctly and so there's some uh, old chapters and some newly written chapters and so when I mean gender I took it not just women writers books but also like uh, sentimentalism or details in narrative that often associated with feminism And in terms of ethnicity, I cover like words by Taiwanese authors of different ethnic backgrounds and also Han authors who somehow in their works try to um, explore or represent races in and also
1: outside of Taiwan. Okay. That's my answer. Thank you. All right. Thank you, uh, Paying, for sharing and especially about the research and the book. written in both languages. And uh, with that, now we know a little bit about our editors here, but how do you start this amazing book project? Can you tell us about the inspiration or any anecdote what makes this happen?
0: Well, uh, I saw Griffin Chiu mention the Blueberry series, which is uh, literature as well. Literature in the Cold for Paper Post for Britain for Taiwanese literature. And I said this to Payne and she was very excited to edit the book, but at the woman was so so busy. <laughs> but she's too enthusiastic, you know. And then we decided to write a proposal in the end. And we noticed that in a book series, most books are so uh or, or works from Europe. So it gave the impression that the series was a little bit as Eurocentric. Therefore, we tried to define our project as the first book that focused on works from East Asian. We also thought that this series would be the best, op- uh, the best option if we want to publish a book on Taiwanese digital literature, literature. We thought about uh, other Taiwan friendly publishing houses like Cambria's Sinophone series, Springer's Sinophone uh, and Taiwan C- Studies series, maybe you already know that, and Routledge's uh, Research on Taiwan series organized by Duffy Fail, But it was too bad, it was not bad actually, it was not so bad to get out of our comfort zone and mix with uh, mix our project with other literatures. So we can reach other readers beyond Chinese studies. We choose the Brunsbury series because we want to make Taiwanese literature more visible. We also think that this is a good chance to spend a whole volume and systematically investigate the translation and circulation of Taiwanese literature. So, we imagine that our book critically responds to Shumei's Sinophone studies and multiple concepts of world literature. When we try to think about what we could include for this project, Pei Lin said that we could focus on how Taiwanese literature was influenced by global culture and ideological trends, and how Taiwanese uh, Taiwan excerpt is influence on foreign readers. We invited Gui Fengqiu and Carlos Rojas to contribute a chapter that could theoretically explain the political and cultural situation of Taiwan. We also invited uh, Inzhen in Liu, Nicolas Cardis, and Darius Turk to discuss how Japanese surrealism, global indigenous movement, and postmodernism inspired Taiwanese writers like Yang Chang, Wu Mingyi, or Zhu, Tian, Zhu Tianwen. We invited uh, John Falcon, uh, Geno Gothic and Pederica Passi, and Inza Huang to introduce English, French, Italian, and Japanese translation. And due to the limited space of the book, we cannot include translation from other countries. But uh, Sun Xu was also invited to provide the case of Ed Lianz, uh, the butcher's wife, uh, Safu, translation.
1: All right. So thank you Wenqi and especially uh, thank you for uh, mentioning this uh, very rich uh, content and then also the different perspective. And I especially appreciate the uh, focused and approach of a global connection and also the network to unpack the translingual landscape, uh, transnational state of being, yeah, but also the transcultural
0: practice. <laughs> I would <was laughs> like, just say this is Spain's idea because at the moment i was thinking like, okay, let's just do like a translation or like doing like how, how the works are translated or influenced the other world. Beyond Taiwan, but Pain said, "Okay, I think it's better to talk about like how the foreign words or like the world influence have influence on Taiwanese writers." So I think this is her uh, kind of. I think she's. I mean, Spain is quite smart in the way to to deal with this issue, and I mean the the outcome is really good. I see like how, kind of influence and vice versa. Yeah, I've said, say, to did a good job at the moment." <laughs>
2: okay i I think i'll just add something and yeah i did remember when she mentioned to me this uh blomsbury world literature series but I couldn't remember how it got started in our conversation, uh, but yeah, you did mention that to me. And I just remember at that time we contacted a few senior scholars, but often, um, I mean, they just say, okay, this is definitely a very worthwhile project, but it's like, I'm too busy to commit to it or something. Yes,
0: so, <laughs> everyone's up to at the moment.
2: <laughs> uh, for like a, a few weeks or months, and we're not quite sure whether we're gonna like go ahead with this or, but in the end, um, yeah, thank Wenqi uh, for being on board and because uh he did a lot of work, especially uh toward the very final stage of this project. So I guess uh from my own experience, um, why it got started, uh, I guess uh if I sort of push back uh, in a more like uh distant past, uh, I guess uh personally I study English literature in Taiwan and Taiwan literature in England is it's a bit like a crossroad through the exercise academically. So for me, I have always been quite curious about how Taiwan literature got uh, perceived outside of Taiwan and how uh, writers, they exerted their agency, but somehow absorbed very quickly and also very cleverly about how they can sort of grasp from outside of Taiwan, but sort of a remake into their literary inspirations. And I also became interested uh, when I heard from Professor Michelle Ye back in 2019 AAS meeting, that's before COVID started, and also uh, that she told me that Professor Kui Fen Chou at that time was editing a book called uh, Chinese Sinophone Literature as World Literature, something similar, but a a little bit more broadly not just like focus on taiwan so at that time i I just sort of remember maybe it'll be nice if some book can be done in a similar vein but actually dedicating to taiwan Um, i guess uh, it's quite obvious because even at the very beginning of uh, modern taiwanese literature uh, like at the turn of the 20th century writers like xie xueyu or Waiting the, I mean, I mean, it's like very interesting for me when I first encountered their works because the setting is actually not in Taiwan, but somewhere like far away. It's actually about the French Revolution. So you could really see this sort of um, very uh, cerebral, complicated process of uh, being influenced by translated works to start with. And then they kind of try to find their own uh, literary style. And I think earlier in our informal chatting, we mentioned about uh, like Mulan uh, Poetry Society. And also Li Ping, in your introduction, you talk about like a a lot of isms, like uh, modernism, postmodernism, postcolonialism. So uh, I guess uh, somehow Taiwan really make a very interesting case studies for all these like big words. So I guess uh, somehow nobody really like uh, live on its own. So that applies to Taiwan literature. We are really like a part of a larger literary world. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And also uh, for me, I would start to have interest in uh, translational Taiwanese literature's world literature this concept much because when uh, in 2019 I got the uh, no 2018 I got the first prize in John Dryden translation competition and at the moment I was invited to the so asked to you know to, to receive the prize and then of course I was very lucky to encounter Susan Bassnett. maybe you, some of the you know some of you may know the very famous uh, theorist in translation studies Susan basnet and then I will have chance to talk with other fellows who's interest in comparative literature and also world literature or like translation studies, and realize I just somehow just somehow just something like click, and I just realized like mm, it's very important to to translate Taiwanese uh, literature to the and and to introduce Taiwanese literature to the world, and then I think it's kind of uh, Taiwanese literature is so rich and so beautiful, and. But it's much, much underestimated and particularly overshadowed by Chinese literature because everyone when I think about like Chinese, uh, Chinese literature, like ch- literatures from Chinese speaking world. And every time we should think about like Chinese literature rather than Taiwanese literature. So I think it's not bad to promote Taiwanese literature as world well literature. And that's the reason, I think, for me to, to, to motivate me to, 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 to edit this
2: book.
1: Mm. Mm. Thank you both for sharing moments of highlights in this journey of making this wonderful book, especially in terms of Taiwan and the world, the different interaction, influence, and as some in some cases, maybe kind of tension in this kind of literary production and literary influence as well. And I believe we will uh, definitely unpack more with all the different case studies and different uh, chapters in this book. But uh, before that let's look at the book title first. And we have this a keyword that has been mentioned uh, several times in our conversation already, that is world literature. So can you tell us a little bit more about what is world literature?
0: Okay, the term world literature was first coined, everyone knows, by Goethe. And many scholars in 20th and 21st century did rediscover the significance of the word. Uh, the word. You may have known Casanova's sociological studies of the World Republic of Letters, and also Moretti's also call for distant reading and attention to variations of the genres. And we particularly fo- uh, appreciate them, say, uh, shining away from the literary canon and focusing on the global circulation of literary texts. World literature is not a circle, a collection of canonical books by the process of circulation translation and production and these theories however cannot escape their uh, european and north american background um, to, to illustrate for example the guardians uh, the first uh, the 10 the 100 greatest novel of all times you know there's this kind of title on on the newspaper and often europe Euro- and American-centric, showing how Western works emerge, receive canonization, and circulate within Europe and, and North American, and even to the rest of the world. Readers around the world may have no well poets like Shakespeare, Milton, Wordsworth, Sherry, Byron, or WBSTS, alias, and even the contemporary poet Carol D- and Duffy. But who has enumerated poems from China? But who can enumerate a poems from China in addition to Li Bai, Du Fu, not to mention if uh, people know any writers from Taiwan. So even if someone knows works from Taiwan, he or she usually reads without a comprehensive understanding of the history of local literature. Taiwanese works in the foreigner's eyes can be flattened, homogenized and even stereotyped. We noticed that uh, feminism and queer issues attract more uh, attention than anti-colonial distance, a dominant theme of modern Taiwanese literature. This is likely because for readers are keen to learn about issues that are more relevant to them. So queer issues or like feminism are more popular, as opposed to those uh, that those reference a specific historical context. But feminism and queer issues are just one of the beautiful scenes of Taiwanese literature and culture. Foreigners may not see the forest for the trees, actually.
1: All right. So uh, with uh, world literature and with this uh, framing and also this uh, lens to understand and appreciate uh, literary works. So uh, this second part of the book title is Taiwan Literature, Taiwanese Literature. And some of our reader might not be uh, very familiar with Taiwan and the literary production in Taiwan. So uh, can you first of all tell us a little bit about Taiwan? Okay, I'll try my best to answer this question. <laughs> yeah, this uh, might be one yeah. of the most difficult questions <laughs> yes, in this entire interview. <laughs> very <So>
2: difficult. <laughs> oh, my uh, well, I guess people talk about Taiwan's very friendly people and like uh, bubble tea, tasty food and like uh, chips now or whatever. But uh, I guess... Um, what makes Taiwan quite unique is perhaps uh, its history. Um, for example, uh, back in like a 16th uh, century, uh, people know like uh, the Portuguese uh, sailor, they gave the name uh, Iha Formosa, like beautiful island to Taiwan. So basically uh, Taiwan uh, started to interact quite dynamically with the world during the age of discovery. Um, for people who came from like non-Chinese backgrounds, then you might be uh, like a surprised or sort of uh, interested to know that um, actually um, in terms of the multi-layer colonial history uh Spanish people came and for example they established in the northern tip of the island uh around like 1626 to 1642 and uh basically near uh jilong at the moment so or if people visited uh Dan Shui, which is like a northern part of Taiwan and then they could still see some like historical, ruins. And uh, while um, Spanish people were in Taiwan, and in the southern Taiwan at that time, uh, the Dutch people also tried to occupy Taiwan, and then they kind of landed in currently um, Tainan. And then they were there uh, quite actively from 1624 to 1660 uh, one of the very uh, renowned uh, historian, uh, Antonio Andrade, he called it like a cooperative colonization. That means uh, at that time on the island of Taiwan, like in the north, you have Spanish people and in the south and you have like um, the Dutch people and also you have the Han people and Taiwan's original uh, indigenous people so it's like everybody somehow tried to trade and try to basically live together and of course after that uh, you have um Chen Chenggong, uh, who should not kick the dutch people out uh, that's like uh around the late 17th century and then here came the qing rule uh for about 200 11 years, if I <laughs> uh, calculated correctly. And then after that, it's more like a modern, the 20th century era that probably uh, people will be more familiar with. So uh, we started with uh, Japanese colonialism that lasted for 50 years from 1895 to 1945. And after that, there's some short transition period in which uh, a very uh, important uh, historical incident that seemed to be the defining moment of Taiwanese identity uh, that took place in 1947, the so-called February 28th, incident. It's actually uh, the anniversary is coming soon. (laughs) So and then after that, uh, probably people be even more familiar with is the Nationalist Party ruled Taiwan period until uh, 2000, when uh, Taiwan basically um, had uh, its own sort of uh, indigenous um, um, identity or sort of um, new ruling party basically after KMT's almost like a half century long single party rule because uh, around 2000 uh, we witnessed this uh, like a political transition like uh, DPP the previous oppositional party became the ruling party and they are currently the ruling party now so as you can see Taiwan really um, underwent a lot of like uh, hips and bumps like historically like uh, it's like a polyseptic layer of uh, colonization. So I guess that's why it makes Taiwan very interesting in terms of uh, theoretical framework. If you want to talk about, uh, for example, uh, post-colonial studies, because uh, even now uh, people are still debating uh, when we could actually talk about Taiwan's post-colonial era, because uh, some people, they are very critical about the Nationalist Party's rule. So they refer to the National Party rule era as Taiwan's pre-colonial era, whereas other people um, probably just took it as like 1945 when Japan surrendered and Taiwan so-called returned to the Nationalist Party's rule. So that part is quite uh, controversial still. And then also uh, in terms of um, Taiwan's relationship with the Southeast Asian uh, countries because uh, we continue to to have uh, immigrants coming from those countries and then they work as uh, different manual workers or like uh, domestic helpers. So in this regard, Taiwan somehow serve a little bit like a a neo-colonial power. So I guess this is another layer that's very worth um, exploring. So I thought um, in many aspects, Taiwan just make a very fascinating
1: case studies to many important issues nowadays. Yeah. Right. Um, Paying, thank you for this uh, historical overview, especially for the political transition and also the serial colonization of Taiwan uh, that shaped Taiwan to be uh, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multicultural as well. And this diversity uh, also uh, enhanced, has been enhanced. And then one of the uh, examples, if I may add, most recently is 2019, uh, Taiwan legalized a same-sex marriage. So, uh, this island is moving towards to uh, 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 advance minority rights, LGBTQ rights, and also all other different social activism and uh, in addition to a political uh, movement as well. And uh, with that said, we now know a little bit about the island and especially the history, culture, and the society composition. What about the literature? So what about the literary uh, production, uh, in Taiwan,
0: well, uh, following Payne's idea, Taiwan was considered free China during the Cold War, and Taiwan's identity does not emerge until the Dang movement, particularly the Formosa incident in 1979, when Taiwan wanted to give away uh, to give away the title free China and asserted its cultural identity to the world. China became an economic, political, and cultural powerhouse. Taiwanese identity was smothered by the KMT government in the white terror, and now is repressed by the CCP authority. So in the past, Taiwanese literature was considered part of Chinese literature, and it provided a perspective on Chinese culture that looks free and democratic, and was not destroyed by the CCP. In 1975, in the 1975 English anthology, an anthology of contemporary Chinese literature edited by Qi Bang Yuan. The Chinese image was what Taiwan was presented to the world. In the 1990s, the Taiwanese government started to sponsor the translation of Taiwanese literature and used this way to promote its subculture uh, glo- uh, it, it, culture globally. But at the same time, China started to open the gate to the world, and people in the world started to be interested in Chinese culture and literature. Sinologists tended uh, tended to switch their focus from Taiwan as Free China to mainland China itself, and American and European publishers tended to publish works from China if they were interesting from uh, interesting. Uh, something from Chinese speaker speaking world. They may appreciate Lu Xin, for example, as the father of uh, modern Chinese literature, but underestimated uh, Lai He as the father of modern Taiwanese literature. So nobody knows Lu uh, nobody knows Lai He, but everyone knows Lai He. Uh, everybody, everyone knows uh, Lu Xin, but nobody knows Lai He. <laughs> Taiwanese identity and literature was uh, constantly marginalized and regarded as trivial and insignificant. This is indeed unfair to Taiwanese literature. During, Taiwan, uh, during Japanese rule, the Windmill Poetry Society started to use serious, serious poetics inspired by Japanese and French po- poets to represent colonial discontent. In the 1960s, Modernist poets read American and European literature to explore new aesthetic values beyond political control and propagandistic literature. In the 1970s, witnessed the localization of Taiwanese literature and the emergence of Taiwanese identity. In the 1980s, writers such as Xia Yu, Chen Li and Li Ang started to adopt postmodernist and post-colonial approaches to challenge the grand narrative of the KMT, KMT authority. These literary uh, representations repre- uh, are much influenced by global literary trends and social movements. In a nutshell, Taiwanese literature is constantly interacting with the world, and we cannot see it as a singular event excluded from the world.
1: Right, thank you Wenqi, and especially you mentioned about the shifts in the political landscape, and then for example, Cold War, and also contemporary uh, political situation Uh, earlier, Paying also talk about the uh, colonial context as well, and then to situate Taiwan as you mentioned not as a singular location of literary production, but inside a global network where uh, writers read each other, and then also translating different work, and then have different literary uh, inspiration as well. Um, So uh, with that, now uh, we uh, unpacked the complexity of the book title. We know the world literature, a little bit about Taiwan, and also the Taiwan literary landscape. Now we will be moving on to uh, talk about the book itself. This book is divided in three parts. And then the first part is about methodology. This is about the approach. And also understanding and study of Taiwan literature as world literature. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about part one, and especially as uh, for methodology?
2: Okay, I will take the question. So. Um... For the first part, uh, it consists of uh, three chapters. Uh, I'll just introduce those chapters one by one. The first chapter is written by Professor Guifeng Chou. And so Professor Chou's chapter is fairly straightforward. Uh, It introduces two transnational frameworks for the study of Taiwanese literature. Uh, The first one is Sinophone Literature, and the second one is World Literature. Literature. For the first framework, um, the chapter argues that it tends to focus on the problematics of Chinese and Chinese-ness and emphasizes the importance of place-based imagination, which is a point highlighted already by Shi Shumei. Uh, Professor Chiu Guifen, she said um, or she argues that uh, this sign framework is particularly relevant or important to examine Mahua or Taiwan's indigenous literature and uh, if you have any chance um, of reading her chapter, then uh, she mentioned uh, like uh, Leong Li Ping and Huang Jingshu Shu and Chiu Pei etc., And uh, also a few uh, indigenous uh, writers name uh, that sort of fit quite well within this Sinophone framework. And the second framework she discusses is the um, World Literature Framework. Of course, uh, you can go back to David Damrush's conceptualization Conceptualization of the term as a mode of uh, circulation rather than as a mode of reading. So uh, Cho proposed a scheme of uh, international recognition indicators, uh, abbreviated as IRI, international recognition indicators. Yeah. So uh, and she sort of uh, talk about different indicators that include winning. A word like Nobel Prize or whatever, main book prize or something, and like a research publication in languages other than Chinese, or like invited writers in residence scheme from foreign countries, or. Now, since we all live in a digital world, so we could also look at the digital platform entries, such as English, Wikipedia, things like that. They are all very useful indicators to help us sort of evaluate how worldly certain writers have become. And also, uh, Cho uh discusses this um, current additive volume, which is the we are discussing today uh, with the violence she co-edited with the late scholar Zhang ying Jing, which is basically uh, also on world literature, but it's more like a, just a Chinese literature overall. And so she kind of talked about how other... Scholars also try to approach this uh, idea, like a sign of uh, Chinese literature, as like world literature. So, uh, if you are interested, then you can uh, read her chapter, and she talk about Michelle Ye's article, and of course Shi Shumei, and also the Cornell-based scholar Andrea Buckner's article. So, and in the end, she very beautifully wrapped up her chapter by using Yang Mu, a very well-known Taiwanese poet, as a case study because uh, according to her, uh, Yang Mu served a very good example who can be steady as a Sinophone author and also a world literature author. So it's somehow, uh, she uh, she tried to argue that uh, none of them is like a very perfect, flawless framework. So it really depends on what you try to argue. And then somehow, even for the same author, you can put him or her in... Different frameworks, then you will see different things. And the second chapter um, is uh, written by Carlos Rojas, who is based in uh, Duke University. His chapter has a very interesting uh, take and probably a little bit like eccentric <laughs> in terms of his approach because uh, it begins with that name, 1870. Two novel around the world in 80 days, which prove that uh, the world has become smaller and smaller. And somehow Carlos juxtaposes this book with David Danrush, Around the World Project, to explore how worldly works have been produced by authors who reflect to the world around and beyond them, And the chapter also point out the impact of historical contingency in the formation of the category of any like uh, national literature, such as uh, Taiwan literature, and its boundary continues to remain very, very fussy. Uh, It also uses uh, Wu Mingyi, the very famous novel, uh, Fu Yan Ren, the man with the compound eyes as his primary case to illustrate how this particular novel can be regarded as a figurative hinge between the fields of Taiwanese and also world literature. So basically, uh, Carlos and also um, Chou Guifen they both try to kind of uh, discuss certain literary works, which seem to fit both frameworks. Carlos' uh, chapter concludes with a very positive note. Uh, he basically uh, used Wu Mingyi's case because Wu uh, Mingyi tried to uh, ask the award uh, giving body to correct that his like, uh, nationality or background is just Taiwan rather than Taiwan, comma, China. So basically, uh, Carlos argues that uh, despite that, authors from Taiwan had to face different constraints, not just political constraints, but could be aesthetic constraints or whatever constraints. But somehow those disruptive forces could actually be a productive precondition for literary creativity itself. So I think... uh, (laughs) He just basically tried to argue despite all the challenges authors might need to face or respond to. Uh, But I think uh, if you can sort of turn those constraints into something conducive or creative, and then that seems to be like uh, the way forward. Yeah. So um, I don't know if uh, Li Ping want to respond to this or should I continue with?
1: introducing the last chapter of this section? Yeah, I mean, um, of course. So, uh, and then the last chapter is actually by paying yourself. So look forward to hear you talking more about it.
2: Okay, sure. Uh, So um, my own contribution is the third chapter, which is the last chapter of this first part. Uh, So in this um, chapter, um, I use basically uh, three case studies. And so each case study illustrates one particular literary jar that I tried to uh, discuss and to sort of test to what extent it somehow facilitates Taiwan literature entering the world literature realm. So um, in the first case I use is a Shona Yang uh, Yang Xiaona in Chinese. Uh, she actually uh, wrote in English, but um, uh, she's an award-winning Taiwanese-American author. Uh, so I try to ar- use her as a case study to argue that when we talk about the circulation of literary words, it, we often tend to talk about uh Chinese word being translated into English or other languages. But I, I try to sort of uh, look at this so-called uh, reverse route of circulation. Circulation because the novel by Shona Young uh, is in English uh, initially and it got translated into Chinese and actually finally reached the audience in Taiwan. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Green Island, her book on Taiwan's February 28th incident. (laughs) So I just thought that's quite interesting because uh, it kind of uh, elicited uh, different uh, viewpoints in Taiwan. And my second case study um, is uh, Taiwan's tao uh, author, indigenous author, Xia Man Lan Boan. Uh I sort of uh, discusses uh, his circulation in Japan because I also try to highlight this inter-East Asian circulation rather than always like uh, East. West sort of uh, circulation. And the third case study is a very contemporary author, uh, Lian Mingwei. Uh, I should have used him as a case study to demonstrate uh, certain Taiwanese writers' world-making. It's like uh, to create the world because um, the the world-making ability in their creative writing, uh, because uh, he, is a very well-traveled author, relatively speaking. So in his at least two novels, he talk about like a Filipino Chinese or different people he encountered uh, in Canada while doing some part-time job there. So uh, I also try to uh, broaden up like uh, when you talk about Taiwan literature, uh, even the writer is Taiwanese, but then in terms of their literary imagination, or their literary concern, is actually far beyond Taiwan itself. So I think this aspect should also be taken into consideration when we talk about how Taiwan literature gets circulated or read in the world. And so in terms of the genres, each of these three authors I talk about, Um. Uh, I, I use them as sort of to highlight Um. How these very three common genres, uh, basically, uh, Shona Yang's novel is like a family saga, like a家族史 or something like that in Chinese. And uh, Xia Man case is like a autobiographic writing, uh, more like a zi zuan. And the third case, Lian Mingwei, um, is like a Bildung's uh chen xiao shuo, or initiation novel. So those three jars are pretty much, I would say, very universal. it's nothing specific about Taiwan. So uh, my general take of these three jars uh Is uh, I think they sort of um, somehow just employ those very very commonly available existing jars, so that somehow make their uh, sort of journey into the world a little bit easier. But I'm not sure when they were composing the work whether they sort of thought about this kind of really like a larger world readership. But somehow uh, like uh, in retrospect they didn't really use something very strange in terms of the literary form. So somehow they kind of just like uh, adopted something that's already there and very common. So I guess uh, perhaps by starting with something more like a common ground, then somehow you could sort of maybe insert Taiwan's particularities gradually sort of to breach uh, this sort of... uh, more like um, Taiwan's uniqueness and also sort of Taiwan's contribution to the commonly shared world issues.
1: Yeah. Right, and then thank you, Paying, for introducing uh, part one, and especially about each authors yourself included the critical reflection on the literary taxonomy mechanism of categorization but also the route of the route of circulation and also the writer's vision of world uh, making as well Uh, With this uh, methodology part covered, and now the second part is about the uh, transcultural, and specifically the transcultural practice and transculturation. So uh, there are also three chapters, I believe, in this uh, part. And then can you tell us more about these chapters and then... What's the uh, transculturation in Taiwan literature?
0: Okay, uh, in our volumes, we particularly focus on transcultural practice of the Women Poetry Society, Wu Mingyi and Zhu Tianwen. The Women Poetry Society leader Yang Chichang has admitted that his aesthetic values were inspired by the multiple Japanese writers such as Haruyama Yukio, Anza, Anzai Fuye and Nishiwaki Jinzai, Jinzai Buro. And Izen Liu, our contributor in her book chapter, further argued that these Japanese writers and critics were also inspired by French writer authors such as Charles Baudelaire, Pierre Ravadi, Yvonne Gaulle, and Andre Blaton. Inference does not suggest merely, uh, just merely suggest in- imitation. Both uh, Taiwanese and uh, Japanese writers have adopted and localized their literary uh, strategies. So, therefore, uh, Yang Zhichang's surrealism is not so authentic, but also has more Taiwanese flavor. And it, and it is used to depict the city of Tainan, the city, and criticize severely the Japanese rule. In the case of notes of a desolate man uh on the show, Zhu Tianwen portrays a cosmopolitan gay yuppie protagonist with so many Western culture and intellectual references. Nick Cardis, our contributor, argues that the leap between high and low cultures, the non-linear nonlinear story, uh, storyline, the passage of uh, allusions, and the depiction of so many foreign things in the novel all can be considered a strategy of alienation. Rather than being engaged in the feeling of loneliness and despair, the hero instead seeks heaven in these narrative taxonomies, such as details of Tokyo geography and trend lines, T.S. alias the Westland, Taoism, the New Testament, and the Japanese festival of the dead and Zhu Tianwen author presentation uh, presentation of the unfamiliar cultures for Taiwanese readers create a strange reading experience for particularly for Taiwanese readers for example it is uh, it is unsettling and foreign it is foreign and disturbing and it unsettles even destabilizes Taiwanese readers and even their views so and another one in the case of a uh, Umi E, our contributor Dari Dirk tried to avoid the ecological concern that has been so popular in um, uh, Umi studies, because I just remember that I just contacted Darius Dirk and he said like, oh, this is so populist perspective, uh, ecological concern or ecological perspective is so so popular. If want to switch a little bit to Another concern, like an indigenous concern, so instead he argued that U may be primativist and see solutions to the modern problems located in indigenous culture, and Umi is primativism does not simplify indigenous culture, but is featured by knowledge of indigenous culture in histories. Indigenous content is the most attractive part in the, the man with the compound eyes for is, its uh, cosmopolitan readers. Dari even argued that indigenous content also enabled this work to be a work of environmental world literature. So you see in the three chapters, like for Zhu Tianwen and for uh, um, uh, Windmill po, Poetry Society and also for uh, Wumi's uh, uh, Novels, different authors or contributors in our book have different concerns and they have different views on the idea of, uh, about the idea of world uh, literature.
1: Right. And then uh, I especially appreciate the authors they uh, unpacking the interconnectedness between the global influence and also local elements as they analyze in each of the uh, writer's work. And also uh, as uh, Wenqi, uh, you introduce as well. So uh, with the second part, transculturation covered, and now we will be moving to the next part that will be translation, especially about translating Taiwanese literature into different languages for uh, uh, readers of different uh, languages and cultures. So uh, can you tell us about how Taiwan literature is translated, circulated, and received in the global context?
2: Okay, I'll take uh, this question. But I think uh, Wenqi is probably better qualified to answer this question because he's a practicing translator. But I'm just like uh, try to tackle it from more like a t- academic perspective. Uh, I I actually wrote a book chapter related to this topic. uh in an edited volume entitled "Positioning Taiwan in a Global Contest," which is a twenty 20- Nineteen edited book published by Routledge. So, uh, basically, uh in terms of the translation, Taiwan has been treated, uh, as when she said at the very beginning, basically like a free China or this sort of label or this tag that seemed to just like uh, go along with the early governmental attempt of translating Taiwan literature because at that time is the early Cold War sort of a context. So, um the nationalist party or the kmt government they try to sort of uh differentiate uh their rule like from the communist china's rule so uh taiwan has been sort of really like a uh, packaged into this sort of uh, Chinese literature, but it's like a the better one or the free version of Chinese literature, and so it sort of started um maybe around uh seventies, uh, like mid seventies. Uh, earlier when she also mentioned uh Professor Qi Yuan's anthology, that's one of the earlier examples of this sort of um, translation project, and so um. At that time in terms of works that were selected into different anthologies, usually, I think as already Li Ping also mentioned, like um, usually they are like a uh, modernist works or maybe so-called nativist uh, like like Xiangtu mention nativist works. So uh not many anthologies, at least not early earlier ones, they tackle like colonial Taiwanese literature. This is probably quite understandable because uh, when KMT came to Taiwan, they tried very hard to basically um, de-Japanize Taiwan or Taiwanese culture and re sanify Taiwan people and Taiwanese culture in order to legitimate their rule over the island. So that's why uh, the literary legacy left by colonial era it was sort of a very very marginalized or if not like totally surprised but in terms of linguistic change because uh Mandarin Chinese became the national language so that's uh, I guess uh, that's a very unfortunate sort of gap in terms of relating Taiwan literature to the world but luckily this situation got addressed uh, in around maybe 1980s, because uh, around 1983, for example, um, there's an anthology, The Unbroken China, uh, edited by Joseph Lao, who unfortunately passed away recently. Um, in this anthology uh, published in 1983, finally, uh, colonial Chinese works such as uh joining in the fun, it was uh, compiled into this anthology, but this sort of colonial Taiwanese literature work, they were not included before. And we can also see some sort of trends of uh, grouping Taiwan more diversely uh, since the 1990s. For example, before 1990s, usually we try to pretend like a Taiwan literature as sort of just like a Chinese literature, some sort of the more interesting alternative perhaps. And then, but around 1990s and Taiwan somehow could be mentioned because that's already post the. Post-Martial Law era, so basically, uh, you can see anthology that sort of uh, highlight Taiwan vis-a-vis other Sinophone speaking communities such as uh, Hong Kong and Singapore or things like that. So uh, the anthology became more uh specialized and you could have a very specific theme, such as a uh, woman literature or certain like a uh, theme how it got sort of um, circulated or explored by different signophone writers so there are more i would say more channels for taiwan literature to be seen and perceived uh, by the world readers but not just like Taiwan on its own, sometimes just like uh, Taiwan and other Sinophone speaking communities. So, uh, looking back, I would say um, the publication channels have become more diverse nowadays. Um, before, you usually just have the university press, such as uh, Columbia UP, or smaller independent presses with a very specific taste for uh, East Asian literature, like a uh, horn for press in London, because they somehow contacted uh, Daryl Sterk to try to get a sort of a retranslation of uh, like uh, because this particular press, they just specialize in East Asian literature. So there are like a different choices to go when you are talking about which press might be interested in publishing the translation of Taiwanese literature. And as I mentioned, um, apart from like a Columbia, UP, these uh, academic out uh, channels. Uh, I also want to mention this um, Taiwan Literature English English translation series that uh, was um, launched by Professor Du Guoqing uh, but he retired from uh, UC Santa Barbara. But uh, while he was in Santa Barbara, he, organized this Center for Taiwan Studies, and then they had this very specifically themed series that just uh, continued to publish Taiwan literature. Uh, As a teacher, I found this series very, very useful because often uh, if I want to introduce Taiwan literature to non-Chinese students, I have to use those texts that already are translated. So uh, often I need to go back to this um, uh, series because they have a lot of shorter stories I can use for my teaching. So I found it very, very valuable. Versus like Columbia UP, uh, which is also very valuable, but often it's like a long novel. I don't normally assign my students to read the entire novel. So in terms of teaching materials, I guess, Uh, All these sort of uh, channels I mentioned, they are actually sort of uh, contributing to the whole world of uh, translating Taiwan literature and also make uh, teaching Taiwanese literature in translation an easier task. But of course, um, there's still a very, very long way to go. And I guess... um, also, I want to mention um, this, um, some sort of governmental funding, uh, like, for example, the National Museum of Taiwan Literature, I think nowadays, uh, just to be fair, although the government could still do a lot more, but they are trying very hard to explore Taiwan literature to the world, not only in English, but also in other minor languages as well. But uh, I was just like a, a long journey, but we are still getting there, like gradually. I'll stop here.
1: Thank you. All right. So thank you, Paying, for uh, introducing this context and also uh, circulation and reception of Taiwanese literature after it, after it is translated, and then especially in terms of the uh, different Goals. The first one, maybe in the beginning, nationalist regime is to kind of increase the global presence and to promote. the so-called uh, free China earlier we uh, mentioned, especially in the Cold period. But later on, as you mentioned, in the 90s, we see more of the uh, nativist literary writers. They have uh, local consciousness and also the diverse themes uh, about Taiwan. And I especially also appreciate that you mentioned this uh, diversity of the uh, uh, publishing outlet, too. It's in addition to unit. University Press, there's all other independent press or uh, literary magazines, academic journal. They are interested in uh, introducing and uh, promoting Taiwan literature uh, to their uh, readers. Um, So with that, uh, now I will be turning to uh, to uh, Wenqi, and especially you contribute one chapter in Part Three and about the translation. And again, uh, Wenqi is an award-winning translator. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you tell us, uh, more about the chapter that you contributed in this book.
0: Okay, uh, so uh, the book, uh, the chapter, the book chapter I contributed is related to Chou Miao jins uh, lesbian works. So. Uh, I think since the concept of world literature is much related to the degree of circulation, so I think it's better that we should check the website such as goodreads.com to know how Taiwanese uh, works has been perceived around the world. And Chou Miaoji is a significant case in our volume. Compared with other cases such as Umi Yi and Zhu Tianwen, Qiao Meoying has much more comments on goodreads.com. She received over 600 uh, comments for North of a Crocodile and six, uh, 200 comments for Last Words from Mater. After reading North of a cro- um, Crocodile, for example, a reader says, I just quote here, I say a lot of I, I saw, sorry, I saw a lot of myself in Lazi. You know, the heroine. Her relationship with others and her feelings and thought, I relate to her more than I care to admit. Okay, this is the, the end quote. Another reader who read last words from Mama Te, Rose wrote also, I quote here again I read this book with the momentous burden of Chou Jin's heart, which interwined with my so resolute for I too had suffered a great loss, a love disintegrated, a soul betrayed, and perhaps karma redeeming. I too felt the cold hands of suicide trembling around my vital organs, bleeding from my eyes, lips, and ears. I felt the scarring step. I feel hurt in I, as I read my own heart to itself. So you can see kind of uh, comments quite related to themselves. And another even compare, for example, I, another readers even compare Chiu Miao Jin's similar emotions and ideas to the feelings represented in, for example, James Baldwin's uh, Giovanni's Room, Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jail, uh, Elif Batuman's The Idiot, and The Points, and The Early Death of Teresa Hak Huck, uh, Kyung Cha. You can see you can see how Cho uh, mi work are circulated throughout the world because of the resonance with readers' miserable adulthoods or gender identity. The work seems to confirm them, tell them that they are not alone in the closet, and even take part in the shaping the take part in shaping the queer identity of the foreign readers. However, as I have mentioned, how literature once being circulated throughout the world can be flattened and even limited to, to a specific perspective. So most uh, readers do not notice actually the, the story. It the, do not notice that the story is actually set in the transitional moment when Taiwan was uh, going to lift martial law. On good, uh, goodreads.com, Some readers still label Chou Miao Jin's work as, for example, Chinese literature or even a term like location China or even in the more general homogenizing sense as East Asian or Asian literature. The label uh, Taiwanese literature or Taiwan literature to my knowledge does not exist. Taiwanese literature may sound unfamiliar to foreign readers' ears at the moment, but I'm not pessimistic. It just means that we need to spend more time and effort to promote our literature. As the read numbers of translations increase, you will slowly uh, be accepted.
1: Right. And then thank you uh, Wenqi for sharing and especially about the reader response and also the uh, reception of the translation. And uh, so we talk about the book and now I want to uh, hear from the uh, editors, especially about behind the scenes so any topics or materials that didn't get to be included in the book or what are the most unexpected material or moments that you encounter in the making or in the editing of this book
0: Mm, uh, well i think most of readers are quite curious why I means this value we don't include a Dutch translation or Czech or other language translations. Well, due to the limited space, we could not include, uh, for example, like German, Czech, Arabic, or Korean translations, and even compare with English, French, and Japanese translations. Taiwanese work published in those countries are relatively rare, actually, and we don't think that we will have a deep analysis of uh, translation theory. We don't think we will have a deep analysis of translation theory, his, oh, sorry, translation history, and focusing on French, uh, English, and Japanese translation seems more reasonable, actually. We personally know that uh, Federica and think Italian translation can be included in our project. In her chapter, Federica believed that uh, Italian as a minor language and culture in contemporary Europe but strong in its uh, tradition can correspond to Taiwan being marginalized by the Chinese-speaking world and even in the world. Do you think that two uh, minor languages, Taiwan and Italy, can equally exchange their cultural capitals? For Dutch translation, I remember I invited my friend Sylvia, but she's a freelancer and need to work to support her life. She cannot write a, a Catholic article without the Iranian. I understand and maybe I will find other opportunities to cooperate with her in the future.
2: Okay, I'll also add something. Uh, I guess um, if I remember correctly, why we didn't include German it's because uh, at that time when we asked around our friends who basically are German friends, but who work on like uh, modern Chinese literature about this potential topic or chapter, then the answer we got, usually they just said uh, German people, they don't read too much about translated words, let alone translated words from China or Taiwan. So basically um, from what we got from our German friends or informants, they just felt um, probably there won't be enough material to make a very interesting um, chapter. So that's why we sort of dropped German. Um, In terms of unexpected result, maybe I'll highlight perhaps um, Indra's chapter because uh, he covers Japanese translation of um, Taiwanese literature and in his argument, he basically mentioned like uh, Taiwan's uh, like uh, same-sex literature has been quite well received in Japan and to the extent that reading those translated words from Taiwan somehow helps or facilitate the formulation of uh, Japan's own gender discourse. So I found that part very, very fascinating because uh, when we talk about translation, uh, it's very, we, we, we sort of kind of just focus on how it got translated. And then, but in this particular chapter, I just felt uh, actually you can see some very concrete impact about Taiwan literature uh, in Japan literature, especially this sort of uh, gender related issue. So I, I thought that sort of uh, make a very powerful uh, argument that uh, Taiwan actually could exert some sort of influenced on others rather than always being influenced by other people. And I, I guess we could include many other case studies in terms of uh, perhaps the transculturation part or even just the translation part. So. But I guess um, no one will want to publish a book that's more than maybe 100,000 words or something like that. So we just have to cut somewhere. So perhaps uh, other scholars could um, like uh, also contribute to this sort of uh, same effort of uh, pushing Taiwan literature more as world literature in the future, yeah.
1: Yeah, thank you both for sharing the uh, the uh, different considerations and some challenges you encounter and uh, different uh, moments of encounter and highlights in the process of editing this book. And uh, uh, totally agree with the length about the book. So maybe we are uh, maybe uh, the second book <laughs> possibly uh, um Taiwan literature as well, literature to continue to explore different case studies and then different uh, language uh, contexts as well so for that so now we were moving toward the end for our interview and we are going to ask uh, each of you the traditional final question here at New Books Network that is, uh, what are the projects you are working on right now, or what's your next uh, plan? Uh, if you can share with us.
0: Well, uh, Payne and uh, I are working with uh, Carlos Rojas on the new project uh, called Literary History of Taiwan in the New Millennium. And it will be published by cambria we are trying to collect manuscripts right now <laughs> but still like oh we still you know people are still writing something so we just uh, try to connect collect those manuscripts and we have to review and we explore the topic of family and justice migration indigeneity future uh, future futurity, a desire. And we intend to include not only the literary works of specific authors, but also critically f- reflect on the social and cultural changes in the twen- uh, 20, uh, 21st century. And for the World Literature from Taiwan series, published uh, in Ballastier Press, established by uh, Payne and me, and we are very lucky to receive some grants from books from Taiwan. You know, the book from Taiwan is uh, uh, grants uh published grants by, uh, designed by uh Ministry of Culture in Taiwan. We invited France, uh, Francisco Jordan to translate Yang Shang's, The Season Where Flowers Bloom, Hua Kai Jie, and Alain Wang to work on Chinese uh, dynasty sense, Chao Shen. And my own project on translating Sun means aliens, uh, Yixing, is also approved and will be con- co-conducted by my translation partner, Colin Bramwell. The book series is still looking for some potential Taiwanese works. So we we, we welcome unsolicited manuscripts. So please contact us and we will help you apply for the grant, Books from Taiwan. And personally, I'm also going to publish Tseng poetry collection, Decapic- Decapitated Poetry, Shi, this April. And this work was was considered the first book of poetry, poem. Oh, sorry, the first book of poems that explicitly represented queer desire in Taiwan. I'm I'm very la- happy and also lucky to work with Seagal Books and publish the collection under the Priceless series. For my post uh, doctor fellowship, I was doing my I'm doing my research on queer Taiwanese literature and I want to explore the negative feelings such as depression, self-hatred, self-doubt and sol- uh, solitude and shame in literary works.
2: Okay, then right. <laughs> sounds like a Wenchi had a lot on <laughs> his plate already. <laughs> Uh, for me, uh, I'm in a sort of similar situation uh, apart from this uh, very exciting co-edited uh, volume when she just mentioned, uh, together with Carlos Rojas. Uh, I'm working on another co-edited volume that will be on Taiwan's cultural and literary leftism. Uh, I'm also quite excited about this book because uh, we will have 12 chapters and it will cover uh, both like a very sort of um, diverse uh, sort of positioning in this very broad spectrum of leftism. Uh, so either people are pro-independence leftist or pro-unification yeah. leftist, they, they will all be discussed. And it will be published by SUNY Press. And in terms of uh, single author books, and I'm currently trying to revise my very drafty draft uh, on Taiwan's uh, 21st uh, century literature. Uh, the manuscripts are not done, but it's still rough and needs uh, quite a lot of polishing. So I'm working on that. And apart from that, I have two ongoing projects. Uh, one is about um, Taiwan's oceanic writing, or you can call um, some sort of uh, island imagination or archipelago imagination. So I would like to explore how ocean or island or archipelago could allow us to reconceptualize Taiwan vis-a-vis the world. And also because I'm based in Hong Kong, I'm also working on a mid-century or early post-war years, sort of a Taiwan-Hong Kong cultural interactions against this uh, general us cultural dominance so it's more like a cold war studies so that's uh, another two projects i'm also trying to make some progress when i have free time but often i find myself just very busy with all the admin tasks so i'm sort of uh, trying very hard here but
1: hopefully um there will be some results soon all right. Thank you both for sharing. Everything sounds great. And uh, we look forward to reading more of your research, your work, your translation as well. So uh, with that said, I want to thank you both again for being on the show today. I really enjoy our conversation.
0: Thank you. Thank to you. you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And I also want to thank you our audience for staying with us to the end. I hope everybody is staying safe, taking good care and see you next time. Goodbye. Bye bye bye
0: bye.
1: Bye.